So all this philosophy would always yeah. make me assume that the world was chaos or chaotic, uh -huh. and there wasn't really a purpose to events. Maybe you could extrapolate purpose from events, but they just kind of happen because like, I don't know, what, why does water boil? In the year or so that I've been making this show, I've started to pick up on themes that people bring in when they bring in their good thing, whatever that thing is. The things that people like to talk about as good, they, they tend to include one of, if not several, elements. Stuff that brings people together is one of those elements. Things that inspire awe or a feeling of smallness, that's another one. But a huge one, and one that I see time and time again in almost everybody's good thing, is things that create or instill meaning. How we relate with the world carries deep significance. Now, some say that's because the universe itself is suffused with intrinsic meaning from a god or some higher consciousness, something like that. When you're born, you walk into a game and the rules are already set out for you and you just, you play through them, you find the meaning there. That's not the only way to look at it, though. For instance, if the universe is meaningless, right, the only cause and effect is direct and mechanical, that moved because that other thing bumped into it, or, you know, that equivalent but on the quantum scale, then if that's the case, where does the meaning come from? It would probably have to come from us. I think that's cool. Maybe a little scary, but pretty cool. Anyway, this is supposed to be a comedy-slash-interview podcast, and so far I haven't said anything funny or let anyone talk but myself. So let's get on with the portion you're all here to listen to. Hey guys, I am back in the booth again. Uh, I don't know where you are in time. Uh, I know where you are in space. I know where all of you are locationally, but I don't know when you are. But if you are when I am, uh, things things are hot garbage. Uh, the Kavanaugh thing happened last week. I feel like this is going to be our scopes monkey trial, but no Clarence Darrow. And at least that guy was um, that guy was a talker. This dude is just a, a drunk white boy uh, who, a drunk white boy who didn't get punched enough because he always had his bros around. And man, if there's ever anything that's going to teach you, just start swinging every time you see a bunch of drunk white boys, it should be this. Everyone should get punched in the face at least three times. That's what I'm saying. It's prescriptive. Make sure you go out swinging punches right now. Things, things are rough. The, this is really, it's hard for me to be like cute and funny about it right now. But in a world... Filled with loud, angry basketball coaching dads who love beer, at least there's the Cohen brothers. Hey guys, I am uh, with. I'm with a treat. I it is a treat for me to be with this folk. I'm with the wonderful Abe Epperson, and today my very special guest, my co-host, Mr. Michael Swaim. Yo, Alex, Michael Swaim, happy to be back. Couple of your bros here. We got your back. Great. I think... <laughs> we will punch anyone who comes at you so that you never learn to leave your bubble. Fuck yes, wonderful <laughs> guys. Let's go. Let's go lifting at Steve's house. 
or whatever yeah. the fuck was written on his calendar. Let's not talk about that. Hi, guys. <laughs> How are you doing? And I know the two of you quite well. Mm-hmm. Swaim, I know better because we had a long conversation mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. The Sun, one of my favorite episodes ever. Abe, I just know you through your work. But can you introduce yourself to my fans real quick? Both of you feel free, too. Yeah, so um, I came up with this cat with Michael Swaim. Uh, we met in college, and uh, he was doing theater, and I was doing, like, movie stuff, like making movies. I can. I can. It doesn't bullshit matter. bullshit major. It's a bullshit major. Interdi- interdisciplinary so computing in the arts. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, point is, we, like, met, and we are like, you want to make things? And he was like, yes, me want. And then we decided to basically become writing and creating partners for, I mean, 15 years at this point, almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Know, like 12 no, at think. least. Uh, but it, yeah. Without and then, counting. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, and then when I went to film school here uh, in L.A., and then uh, we worked at Crack for a super long time. I've directed, like, over 300 videos, and now we have a thing called Small Beans, which is our kind of uh, podcast network and also video network that we've been running for about a year. And it's like comedy and a whole sorts of topics all curated by myself and Michael Swaim to be the funniest, most interesting thing. Yeah, and it, we can do. It is coming from me, corroborating. It's funny. Thank you. High praise. I think right yes, at low, low praise. I mean nothing. Praise from Caesar. Uh, mm. I got it. Uh, yeah. Hail Caesar. <laughs> not yet. One of their worst. Not yet. Well, not terrible. Uh, right when Swaim first came on my podcast, I think, was when Small Beans really sort of started, I don't know, crystallizing, yeah. becoming a thing. Yeah, I actually can't believe it's been that long. Yeah. Already. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we started around, Jan- like, the beginning of this year, really, January. Uh, October 20th. Was planning... Was when I launched the initial post announcing Small Beans would exist. Right, yeah, yeah. But then... Uh, I remember because Dan O'Brien got mad at me. Do <laughs> uh, fighting. Yeah. But I remember in April we got a big bump because we had a video series called Disney Owns You, which was a... Um, it's on YouTube. Money Pit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not that much. But I mean, it got... It got it's where we are, damn it. Uh, it's uh, basically about like when... If two Disney executives have to deal with... All explaining how they bought all of the uh, properties, properties they that they now own, like Star Wars mm. and Pixar and stuff like that. And we, you know, yeah, but we figured spend a bunch of money up front, and now we can get away with webcam, webcam-based. Don't series. tell them the secret. <laughs> yeah, tell us all your secrets, guys. Um, Abe, everybody wants to know, mm-hmm. right? The folks at home, yeah, they've been they're writing in. Yeah, they've been writing in. I'm getting their letters now because I asked them to write in three weeks ago. Are you an optimist, pessimist, neither, both? What's your deal, man? Fuck, that one's, it's a really good question. And I, um, I don't want to give you a lame answer because the right answer, of course, is depending on different situations, you're optimist prime <laughs> you're, you're uh or negatron yeah negatron there, you, you, <laughs> there you go uh you know i have to say that i think i'm becoming a pessimist the older i get mm. and that's just because i'm flirting with things like nihilism a little bit more mm. and i think it's more the chaos is more interesting than the structure but i grew up and for the majority of my life i've always been like a pretty extroverted like Everything's going to be all right. Don't worry about it. You know, like I see a lot of sad people and I want to cheer them up. So mm-hmm. I guess that makes me an optimist. I don't know. 
I, I, I like, we're going to talk about the Coen brothers For today. sure, yeah. And uh, that's my dark side. And I think oh. there's, I wouldn't say that they're pessimists because I think pessimist has an attitude. It's like the the seeking of the negative effort, like uh, mindset. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's what the, uh, the Coen brothers are doing, but they make movies, especially more recently in the last decade, that definitely flirt with that topic, or at least yeah. the universe being thankless. Mm. And even if you're excited and you know effervescent as you can be, uh, you're still gonna get kicked in the nuts. But don't be afraid, Abe. Those men are nihilists. They're cowards. <laughs> so, <laughs> the cowards. Tell me about nihilism. What is it that's attractive? I mean, I'm not like a nihilist, but I mean, it's like I guess if you were taken from like the Whitehead, like which sure. is the only reading that I. Uh, it's the idea is that you really believe in nothing because of the the circumstances of like time, basically how nothing you can do really matters. And I've mm-hmm. been and I think the Coen Brothers make nihilistic films in some in some way because of the universes they create are not. There's no poetic justice. And I don't think either us or them are arguing that things don't matter. On a micro scale, meaning that we observe cause and effect, you can be nice to people around you. Yes. And everyone, like, tends to have more dopamine in their bodies and, like, have a better time. If you want to be, like, as detached as possible from Mm -hmm. what human happiness is. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, nihil means nothing, I think, if you translate it directly. And I think it's more the belief that – and this is why we find the Coens, like, the best filmmakers. Every American film – Outside of the Coen brothers and very few others, uh, is highly secular, yet comes from a place where it's part of the structure that people who do good things will be rewarded. Mm -hmm. Or if the person who does good things dies, it will be for a reason, like they won't have died in vain. Or even if they die in vain, the music will be sad, so we know that that's bad and it wasn't God's plan, so to speak, and it's like an aberration. Mm -hmm. And usually that will only happen to one, like Wash will die in serenity so you know that you you get to have a scene where you're like yeah life is unfair sometimes but despite the fact that eh, the universe is stacked against them the good people will win because they got high yeah they're they're just a bunch of rudies yeah anytime in a movie or a book or anything you can say like he deserved or she deserved this and so it's satisfying that it happened and you realize that there's this tacit agreement that there is karma is what I feel is like the easiest analog. Right. Even if there isn't God in heaven, there's karma. Right. So, so And I think nihilism would say, no, there isn't. It's like, case in point, Anton Chigurh can be impossibly evil to the point where nothing can stand against him, then randomly get hit by a car. And then is that his comeuppance? No, he limps away. Like, stuff can go back and forth and back and forth, and it doesn't fucking matter. (laughs) So we're just atoms bumping into each other. And sometimes beauty is found out of that, and that's cool. Uh, but it doesn't if you're into mean that. anything. And yeah, yeah but uh, but I, and I don't mean that to be like yeah, beauty. No, I just mean to say that like there's no criterion for the universe. There's no blueprint. There's no like aim, rhyme or reason for it. And mm. that's interesting to me because it's how my brain has rectified this the the present situation. The present situation. <laughs> I so I want to ask because it, it's strange I think saying you're nihilistic in terms of whether you're optimistic versus pessimistic because that almost seems like an outlook not like a philosophy where nihilism feels like this is 
a philosophy. I do not believe in maybe a metaphysic. I don't believe there's a greater good or a direction towards history. And optimism just feels to some, not to all, like good things can happen. Mm. But I suppose it's on it's whatever scale you want to look at it at. So how how is there how is nihilism to you or nihilism personal? Um I mean, that's a good question. I, I think I'd frame it in a different light mm. in just that uh, I'm attracted to nihilistic films or okay. films that we just kind of, the way in which we spelled it out. I wouldn't say that it's, and in that way as like a quote unquote artist or a director in my case, I wouldn't say that I think that that is something that's necessarily a part of me. I mean, that's an, it's a, that's something I'm grappling with because a lot of artists, I mean, we're here in L.A. Right. And, you know, I'm. you throw a stone and, you know. And they arrest you. And they arrest you for killing artists. Yeah, you shouldn't throw stones, um, even at artists. Yeah. The, and I, I, they say, like, find a voice. Find something that's unique about mm-hmm. yourself and put it out into the world. And I believe in that. I think that's a great way to, you know, be and that's how you should carry yourself. It's, it's personal for me because I do believe in it, mm. but I also believe that we can, like, we are an aberration. Humanity is kind, is so beautiful in its distance and regard for everything else in the universe. It's this such, such a beautiful little moment, if you will, of, like, the universe knowing itself that when you look at it, and it looks back, meaning we are looking out forward of like what we should do and how we should be. Uh, there's not a lot, lot of nihilism there. That we're in this epic fight against the nihilism, the darkness. We're in this epic fight of the world. Everything's up against us, and we can shine the light somewhere. So that's why it's personal. It's like this mm. dichotomy mm. that's constantly mm. raging in my mind, as opposed to, which I'm sure it does to all everyone. Um, as opposed to a way in which I like seek, like how I, it's not like, a, like a machine in my do. head that I yeah. put things through right. and then it has a result and I say I should act, therefore I should act this way. Okay, so it's not like there. there's one way you could look at it that's like, well, fuck it, right? Which could also be a, like, well, everything, nothing matters, fuck it. I don't think that's it. what nihilism is. I, I don't think it is. I think that there's a possibility though, to, like if nothing matters, therefore, I can live my life, I cannot care. You can also say, well, nothing matters, but we exist, and that's pretty fucking cool to me, right. so why the right. fuck not? And right. I th- I think I'm actually like an existentialist who took it to that point and said, if nothing matters, um, but I have the ability to imbue things in my life and journey with matter, that like with meaning, with meaning. Mm-hmm. to the point that it feels indis- like indistinguishable from whether God imbued it with meaning or I gave it meaning, then it's functionally the same. So like mm. existentialism, a lot of people think is saying fuck it, but no, it's actually saying you can do whatever you want. You can like hack the universe by realizing that life is just perception. Now choose to do like good things with your energy. Right, right. A lot of people assume, I think, there's this this weird thing about existentialism which you get from different people who don't quite I think understand it which is that well why have ethics at all why be ethical in any situation I mean it really retracts into the kind of statement about if you're like atheist or agnostic if someone who's religious is like well why don't you just like 
murder people all the time. It's like, well, no, that's what you want to do, I, but your God doesn't what, let you. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to go into that, right. like, but, but also, it could be true. Yeah. You but can could, divorce morality entire from yeah. it and be a robot, and you'd say, why don't I murder people? Because as a biological organism, I'm hardwired to it feels bad. Like, right. maybe if I were a sociopath, I would. If I stumbled upon existentialism, right. I would use that as a rationale to do what I want. Right. But I don't want, I help people because it feels good to help people. And I don't kill people because it feels bad to kill people. And I also have this thing in my brain that's like, well, my brain, which is the, a pattern <laughs> recognizer. So when I see you shit. in pain, yeah. I go, oh, if that was me, oh, that sucks. Yeah. And then I go, so I'm going to help that guy. I'm going to help these people mm -hmm. because. You imagine yourself, and we can't help ourselves as pattern recognizers, like be able to like transport our own selves into something else and then feel s empathy or sympathy right. for it. And do you have to do that because you're imagining some like like image of decency, what it means to be an evolved human? Or do you have to do it because of the reward of an afterlife? Does that make it more meaningful? In my opinion, no. It can be just because oh, you're an animal and it's of your species and you're moved to help it, so yeah. you do? Like, everything just is whatever it is. It does what it does. Like, we are at a very <laughs> long journey of developing the best computer that we're, we know exists, and we're at so a very far. short version so far of a 400-year-old series of questions of us figuring it out. Mm -hmm. So, like, that's where we're at. It's constantly in flux. It's instantaneous, much like you were saying at the beginning of the podcast, <laughs> yeah. depending on where you are in time. I don't know, but right now it sucks. Way to work the Heisenberg uncertainty principle into the intro. Right, right. I'm, I'm waiting for that, uh, that wave to collapse. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> mm. That cat to get boxed. Into Toby Maguire as our fourth guest. That would mm. be nice. Toby! Toby! <laughs> There's a small but distinct probability that Toby Maguire quantum physics dictates it must be possible. If we were to be in this booth for truly eternity, yeah. Toby Maguire would show up there eventually. That, that would point. be hell, wouldn't that be? Yeah. Like just waiting for Maguire. <laughs> waiting for Maguire. Yeah. The remake. The shot for shot Yeah, remake. just like Toby's gonna be here. Toby's never gonna be here. This just occurred to me while you were giving your spiel. Yeah, just do talking you, out my ass. Do you think one of the reasons we like Coen Brothers movies and movies that come from that place in general could simply be that we've ingested so many standard structure movies that they're less predictable and they feel more novel? Uh, yes and no. I, I Because, you know, both of us relish in the idea of when it's a system and they break it in a unique way that mm. is out of the system of normally breaking things. And by breaking things, that's art. Lexicon. I don't know yeah. how, what lexicon is shared by us is just having the same hive mind. We'll, we'll try to describe or try to define uh, like tropes, things, tropes that you can identify and say like movies do this all the time. Right. Anytime your little spidey sense perks up, the Coen brothers are known for following some tropes and then absolutely dismantling them to their parts to the point that it pleases us. Mm. Um, and in a way that it can't be predicted because it's not like how most films that even get to the point of subverting tropes, mm. they'll go trope, trope, anti-trope. Coen's will do trope, anti-trope, trope, trope, anti-trope, weird version of the trope, trope. Non-sequitur. Intentionally, yeah. they make a pattern that can't be predicted because it's fully randomized. So, it, <laughs> But it, it always feels relevant to the characters. And mm -hmm. it's a, it, so it's not just like, yes, we are robots in that we want to, like, we're both robots, not like humans are robots. But like, when we watch these films, or films in general, I think 
both of us look at it with this analytical eye, which kind of ruins films, some films. Mm -hmm. It ruins like mediocre films. Yeah. But great films, it actually, I think, increases and terrible my enjoyment. Does my it enjoyment. make more fun too? The worst films? Yeah, like uh, really I don't, bad. I think there's phase. I still watch bad movies, but like I used to watch bad movies because there was a film school thing. At right. USC, we would do this thing where it would be like, let's go watch a bunch of bad movies. And it would always be like, Troll 2 or something like that, or The Room, or like Sand Shark. Uh, you know, but like when it comes down to it, I was never really into it. I was more into the drinking and the friendship. Uh, <laughs> but like when it comes, so I had that phase and I still enjoy it, but like there's really mediocre movies that like. I can't believe if someone thinks that they're like a bad movie that's enjoyable watch. Like right. 2005 Stealth. You know, like there's yeah. there's no one in that corner. There's no <laughs> one going to bat for that movie. Not yeah. it, except not whoever scraped together millions of dollars. Who's to ever make it. baby that's that was? Weird. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Um, there there are two two little threads I want to follow. Both of them are really uh, scratching my my thread itch. You guys ever get that thread itch? Mm -hmm. First, so we were talking it's about curiosity. <laughs> What what am I some kind it's of SAT doctor? First, I wanted to talk just a little bit more about the idea of nihilism and making films because even if your outlook seems nihilistic, there's still some sort of inherent optimism to the long game of making a movie that could take you upwards of two years to make. Does that not track for y'all? Absolutely. Absolutely attracts for me. Uh, I think that there's nothing more perfect than ideas that have that, especially simple ones. Uh, like we talk about this. This is not the Coen Brothers, but it's like perfect because it's like simple version of it. But we talk about on our we had a podcast where we talked about Wally, mm. and we talk about this universality of a joke. And the joke is you all remember it from Act One. He's Wally's still on the planet organizing shit and he goes into his shed and he's grabbed a spork and he has on his organizational shelves he has forks and he has spoons and then there's like a space in between these cubbies and he and the camera follows and he looks down and he goes fork spoon fork spoon put it in the center now the reason that's beautiful to me is that it's uh the a seven-year-old can get that joke and a four-year-old can get that joke the only prerequisite is that and a 40-year-old might still laugh at that joke. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, <laughs> as, or, you know, filmmakers who right. are watching Wally -E in 2009. Uh, the only prerequisite for that joke is that you have seen and have knowledge of sports. What a sport game. Yeah. <laughs> so that's beautiful to me. And I feel like the Coen brothers and, in general, just like great artists are able to say something that's simple enough, like, Try to like try to take a complex protagonist and say that all they have to do is just grow just this little bit, mm. and that they they didn't they're not a good guy they're not a good person or something, but at the end of the film he or she is slightly different, and it's because they've learned something that's goddamn true. When it's something like that, that to me is a great success. It's a small little humble. Uh, attachment, and that's the type of films that I'm most interested in, okay. and that's what I think Coen Brothers are make. Likewise, they're also absolute experts in their crafts, and they 
Yeah, we they assemble the best on, team. They're just the best. Also, like yeah. yeah, if you think of like teams of filmmakers who work with each other, like Mary Zio Freeze or Colleen Atwood or you know the you know Roger Deakins, the team that they bring along with them for almost every production, if they can, is like they're the superstars. They're yeah. the Golden State Warriors right now, and of course, including their habitual cast is yeah, all killers. yeah, yeah, with Goodman, Chitaro, Francis. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God, get out of town! And it's just like every time they just knock it out of the park because they just they love working with these people so that's one beauty is that you look at and you go like and they Aw. see basic truths and know how to state them clearly. yes yeah and they uh and they're just killing it all the time just low-key killing it also to another part of your question i'd say that i think nihilism opens you up to actually go with the flow of whatever your life is giving you and staying present so uh you're asking, like, why would you make a spend two years making a movie if you're a nihilist? Mm. I think it's because you feel like it. And a nihilist is free to not ask, should I feel like it? Is that my path? Mm. Is there a reason? Why do I feel like making a movie? You can say, of course there's no reason or meaning. Nothing has meaning. So make a movie if you feel like making a movie. <laughs> but do you think then, like... The so what compels you to feel it? Not that there should be a reason, like is this God's plan, whatever. But why? Why do you? I, I'm asking you to read someone else's mind, so right. I, I understand that that's an impossibility. But like, why if if you are a nihilist, I I can figure out why I would, but I also want to hear it articulated for other people and hear you guys speak to it. I got one. Yeah, why would you want to make a film? Uh, well. Film in particular, that's the question, because, like, I'm a storyteller, he's a storyteller, a lot of us are storytellers, and I think that the the way that we're, like, we all agree is that we can't live without stories, we can't be those cavemen not drawing on the walls. Why? Because we love it. Um, so there is just this hedonistic effort there, mm. one. But why film? That's because film is hands down the best I can swear on this program, right? Fuck yes. Okay. Hands down the best fucking... Best darn. Like, best darn, yeah. <laughs> whole, uh, the best fucking form of art that has ever existed. Why? I'll give you concrete reasons why. Uh, I can, in film, unlike any other, like photography, painting, music, they're all great. All these things <laughs> they're are all, great. They fucking but suck. I can get, like, a film can show you a black frame with music uh -huh. it can put it on top of something likewise it can cancel all sound and give you a painting you a or a photograph and you don't go would did it change to a painting <laughs> like, what so, am I watching? like it's only better in that the mess it's like, everything it's everything <laughs> yeah. it has the ability to show all of the things that came before it mm -hmm. because it has it it has this ability to move through time um so the coen brothers are really good about organizing moments, which it's interesting because like if you look at like a Pollock painting or something like that, or you listen to, I mean, there's song. one right here. Let's just look at it. Oh, oh yeah, actually, Original, if you guys yeah. couldn't could keep from breathing at it. I borrowed <laughs> yeah, yeah. it from a museum. But it's like it's not necessarily one note, but often those types of that because of the medium, it is like a pop song is like I want to hold your hand. You know, it's something like that where it's there's no verse in that song that's like also let's talk about this other thing 
that has nothing or even not like related. the times they are changing where it's deep and it's true yeah. it, it's still only one sentence it's basically the elevator pitch if in movie parlance right uh, whereas a movie is a full journey and music also has temporality that's the yeah, crazy thing it does but for the most part we don't really you utilize it in music as much or at least popular music in films popular films we utilize it all the time mm -hmm. we we this this elegant dance of like statements of color and shapes on a big screen uh you cut to other soundtrack. images and you instantly know this isn't real this is in their mind yeah like just this lexicon that the audience has developed is really powerful yeah so that's the simplistic answer of why okay. films are the best I can top that yeah. or in terms of simplicity. I have a brutally mundane answer, which is that my honest belief is that the reason I'm interested in filmmaking, I'll call it storytelling because I like a lot of different media. I'm especially fascinated by comic books because they're temporal, but the audience controls the flow of time, which is interesting to me. But that aside, I think it's because I was ge genetically predisposed to have a felicity for language and performance and then things in my formative childhood that happened to me uh, strengthened that neural network. And the end. <laughs> so, okay. Dar well, what, what Darwin what's the reason? would say. Big brain. <laughs> no, like what Darwin would say. It's just the thing I was naturally good at and humans are lazy and prone to take. Like I got easy rewards, meaning society, my family, like was Gave happy and smiled. It was yeah. good when I mm -hmm. told stories. So that's that. So you're habitual. Right. It's a machine it, that I is... think that's true. I think absolutely if I or whatever my identity is, me, uh, even like if you could plastically create my exact brain at birth, if I were born into poverty in a third world nation, they needed me to carry heavy shit. Uh, I don't think I'd be constantly thinking... But really, I know I'm supposed to be a filmmaker in Los right, Angeles. Right. You know what I mean? No, you just be like, fucking not as good as want... that as Ralph, who's great at that. I'd shit. have other ambitions, but I wouldn't be like, I don't think people have a set calling at birth. <laughs> no. Yeah. There's, yeah. Yeah, no, they don't. I'm taking the nihilist corner on this episode. That's, I mean, that's fine. This is a very, um, I try not. No, that's not true. I let my philosophical beliefs come out a lot. I am a, an atheist and a materialist, so nobody who listens to this podcast is going to be totally thrown. What? 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 Yeah, by your guys's uh, <laughs> outlook. I'm I'm a bit more positive, but I'm still, you know. Let's talk about the Coen Brothers. Yeah. Yeah. So, pretend that I've never seen a single Coen Brothers film. I've seen a few, but like, let's act as if I am totally new to this. Who are these good boys, and why should we care? Uh, my, I have a question for you okay. that's relevant about this scenario. Yes. Uh, who are you? Because, <laughs> like, there's – I would – often we're, like – people ask, like, what's the best film for me to get into this okay. artist or something? Well, I, I would tell you that in the case of the Coen brothers and in a lot of artists, but, spe you know, especially, like, the best artists um, – what are the th your interests kind of things um, to answer that? I know that seems like – I know I have mine, but, like, I, the Coen brothers have talked about – basically with the exception of the fact that all of their films are about crimes um, – have jumped into so many different types of people that you go, like, I get it. Um, I don't know. 
I'll take a second to think of that. Is there one that you had, Mike, that you just want to throw out there? Because I'm trying to. What is a way in? I was just going to generally like, who explain are what they? the Coen yeah. brothers are. Born Joel and Ethan, <laughs> the Coen brothers are related fraternally. <laughs> they are filmmakers <laughs> from the Midwest. You said you know nothing. Actually, if someone said they hadn't seen a Coen brothers movie, I'd have to slap them first, but we'll bypass that. Um, Would you go Hudsucker? What about it? As first watch? That yeah. wasn't his question. It's his show. I thought that was his You guys question. can interview no, each other. No. That's fine. His question was, what would you tell someone who'd never heard of the Coen brothers about why they're good? Why would I do that? Just show them a Coen brothers movie. I see what I did there. <laughs> <laughs> You're sliding it back to the question you want to answer. It's the question But I don't have an answer for. Yeah, I know. So I'm going to take well, it away okay. from you and give you time to think. I, I think I want to know the question Abe wishes I asked. Abe, what did you wish I asked you? What's How first, should I acclimate to the Coen Brothers? What's the first Coen Brothers movie okay. to watch and Because why? I sh you shouldn't pitch artists. You I should would not let them say, see the work. Who does that? Well, we've been talking about their nihilist undertones and why they appeal to us. No, no, also, that's you're questioning true. the whole premise of the show we agree I'm not asking on. about... I'm just... I'm just like last like I'm on a mission to civilize with okay. Elvis Costello. You could easily say, "Why analyze Elvis Costello? Just fucking listen." That's true of all the podcasts we run on our network. This interview is over. Yeah, I don't understand why they listen to just us. Just watch Green Room. You don't just need to listen. Stare to at the sun. That's true. Just That's look true. at the sun. You there idiots. is added effect of enjoying a film with like other animals. <laughs> yes, but there's also something nice about because I'm not here to learn about the Coen Brothers. I'm here to learn about you two idiots. Yeah, so That's let's weird. tackle this concrete argument. Yeah, I sure. would not do the Hudsucker Proxy. Yeah, pardon. I would not do the Hudsucker Proxy because I actually think it's the only one because they were aping Capra that has the opposite of nihilism. Mm. An angel comes to Earth. That's At true. the moment of the protagonist's suicide, to save him, even though he's taken no proactive action to save himself. Which we talked. Which yeah, is yeah. like, yeah, but he has a good heart, so God reached down and saved him. That's normal movies, and that's fine. And I, the Hudsucker Proxy is delightful. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't think it's the best intro to like what makes them important or special. And I'll go a step further and say something more controversial. I also don't think it's Fargo. Because I think it's, Fargo is fucking so tight and hard and baller, and that's true, <laughs> but I don't think it's like the quirkiest, I don't think it's the most Cohen-y Cohen of all time. I think I got to give it to uh, watch Big Lebowski and to try to slide this conversation yeah. back away from just a movie. Uh, I think it. the reason that that movie is so good is it exemplifies a lot of great things about the Cohen brothers, which is their ability to work with people who are... They just, like, there's little things and little stories you hear about them because they're very cryptic as well, like in interviews and stuff. Like, if you try to find out what they say about their own work, you're going to have a hard time even on on Google. Like, it's, yeah. you just can't I mean, they've both it. been here the whole time. They haven't said shit. Right. Yeah, yeah. Hi, guys. They are looking rude. at it. They are pointing guns uh, at the three of us. And, and it's like, but you hear things from, like, Jeff Bridges, who plays, like, the dude. Um, in Big Lebowski and it's like you hear about how their like process is and there's something beautiful about their process because they just sound like these like wise dudes who are just like <laughs> over by camera just like they've done all the work of making the movie before they take a step on set and that like the entire movie is made in their head every edit as every if it scene. were animated they know the angles they, they know, know when it cuts yeah. 
and they know that there's some about a, a limited amount of improvisation so they know maybe we'll cut out away from you know after that or something or he'll like get that to trail but off. the point yeah, is that he's funny. trying to he's trying to make everyone think that he's great and we just cut right there and everyone thinks he's the worst or something like that like it, it always has like an editorial purpose and uh, something like one of the stories is they talk about is about how uh, you're not you're not there's no real rehearsal or there's there is rehearsal but there's no real like notes on set from the director to the actor you're just politely asked to do it like you did it in rehearsal right so there's a lot of rehearsal around the table reading mm. yeah and then when and they lock it in yeah. they always just go remember what we did you don't do have that. to do variations just do that Mm -hmm. that's the piece we need which yeah. does remind me of a comic book like they can see yeah. it in their heads like a comic book that's the one that occurred to me too I also think because it does what they do so well I kind of spiritually connected to Burn After Reading it's they take a genre they love and they explore it by meticulously as Abe said building the pattern and subverting them and Big Lebowski is one of the best examples of that I think everyone loves it because they just go it was really funny but if you're a film buff you see this underlayer of, oh, it's a noir film if every single fucking thing happened the opposite. Like you have this Chinatown figure, the Charles Durning, like the big Lebowski, the titular guy. Uh, I'm sorry, it's not Charles Durning. I always mix him up. But the big Lebowski. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he's basically a ripoff of the mammoth figure in Chinatown or any other related noir films. And the secret would always be that you find out he's even more powerful than you thought or amassing power. In this, you find out he is broke and has no status and has never worked a day in his life. Um, and on and on and on. Like, I'm not going to go through everything. But I th a funny one is he's taking a cab ride, and normally this would be the scene, and they even echo it in the shots. Like, they show the rearview mirror, and they have his eyes, uh, where a P.I., and he fills the P.I. role in this, would say, pull over, cabbie, we're being followed. Instead, he pays the cabbie, gets out, and the cabbie goes, you know that uh, like bright blue Beetle, the most recognizable car in the world, has been following us for like eight miles? And he goes, what? <laughs> and yeah. So it's a great example of that, and Burn After Reading is the same, because it's also, I feel like Burn After Reading is they just dug into more noir tropes and did it again. Mm -hmm. Um even though it has a much crueler tone. But then the other thing I think they do so well is like a serious man or a Fargo or a Lewin Davis, which is they do tone poems where they're like, to me, Fargo is, this is just the feeling of snow and being cold. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's weird to say. No, but like, this is how hard it would be to be in the snow. So it's Fargo to me. Why, with the buffet of movies that there are in mm -hmm. the world. Why did that grab you two? And you can have separate answers. You can have the same answer. I got into it when I was young. Uh, so it was, you know, before we met, we already, like, knew about some Coen Brother movies. But we really, not, you know, like, started talking about them, and we realized that they're, like, both of our favorite filmmakers, mm -hmm. and it, like, or at least on a short list. Did you say that kind of formed your friendship, too? Uh, I mean, yeah, kind of agreement. Among many other aspects. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, comedy and stuff yeah. like that, too. But uh, definitely made conversations go easy that we had the same tastes in films. It might have um, been just indicative that you guys were similar enough to be good friends. Sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
and what was I saying? Sorry, I got derailed. why. So why the I, I was thinking about her identical you. octagonal peens, but I decided not to bring it up because no one would understand. <laughs> no one would get that. Do you guys have identical octagonal, octagonal penises. That's no, just a running joke that we have. Right. Right? It's our way of saying that we usually think of things eighty-five percent the same, which is a really weird way to say that. Yeah. But on set, we also people we've worked with, or when we've had the opportunity to co-direct, uh, people always comment on how. Like, oh, Abe gave me a direction. Then Michael gave me the word for word the same direction because he didn't hear Abe. Or we'll literally say stuff in unison the same at the right. same time. Right, yeah. and make the same joke in the room. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. from a benefit of, like, we've lived with each other, like, yeah. twice and stuff yeah. like that. But, so, there is a little bit of that. But it's, like, it's really weird because we came up very different. Like our childhood tales are not the same, you know? And that's always been like, that's weird that we like came out the same a little bit. Yeah, like um, Coen Brothers was one of those things that we definitely knew and Pixar as well. And like Paul Thomas Anderson, there's a, you know, short list, like I said, Um, but we definitely were into the Coen Brothers. And what I would say is it's like their bag of tricks. That's the term I use. And what I mean by that is, like the type of things that they use, whether it be editing, like cinematography, dialogue, or just like color and like background. Like for example, Wes Anderson and floral print on the walls, that's a bag of tricks. Mm. Like it's a thing that he does a lot. And right? one of theirs that people overlook because they switch it up so often, but it's like intense adherence to unique dialects. Like literally yeah. like people talk funny in a unique way in this world. Yeah, and the Coen brothers have a multitude of bad like they have bags upon bags of tricks. <laughs> like, it's just, there's so many things to play with that it's just, the, it, it really does feel like a spectacular every time you're watching it, even if it's the most subtle thing in the world. Like, one of my favorite things in The Big Lebowski is when uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman is Brant. They just chose by some, some activity of collaboration between the actor and the directors made Brant so that he would just like do, he does this thing who's like pointing at the paint or the pictures to introduce the Big Lebowski. He's like, yes, this is, um, ha, ha, ha. And he does this thing where every now and then he just laughs to be polite, uh, which is a thing that is like we're cognizant of. And it's clearly intentional. I don't know anyone who does that. Because it takes on like a play-like quality because he follows, again, a system. They like installing systems, which is another thing that appeals to us because it bears analysis and we like analyzing things. But like he always laughs and then repeats his sentence word for word. Yes. Yeah, like, oh, this is, ha ha, this is the college that he is a benefactor. These are his children. (laughs) Ha ha, his children. (laughs) Uh, And he, like, it's... So you get that character, and then you get Tara Reid playing Bunny. Right. You know, then you get John Turturro, you know, as Jesus, uh, or Jesus. you know, Oh Brother, where Nick Cage is high. Yeah, in Raising Arizona. Like, and Nick like, Cage is a special case because that's an actor that we've seen time and again. Only an excellent director can make him splendid, yeah. and he's splendid he's in Raising Arizona. Just <laughs> yeah. the most endearing motherfucker on yeah. the planet in that movie. And I think that requires careful handling. And yeah. I don't want to dig into all the anecdotes because we did a full episode on it. Yeah. But yeah, they had a lot of tension on set. They really they had to mold him more than most. Yeah, and like Holly Hunter in that movie, like oh, kills she it. She kills it over and over. Just yeah. kills it. I love him so much. <laughs> so, but for me, it's also, yeah. if I may, uh, 
two more aspects. And he's right. It's that they're the best. They have the most. I don't know what to say. You're like, well, who's winning? Whoever has the biggest pile of gold. But there are two more things in their bag of tricks that I think must be mentioned is they are almost 50-50 focused towards the written and they write like playwrights, like a great playwright. Like I compare them to Tom Stoppard and shit. But they also understand the film as a visual medium. That And so many filmmakers lack this. And even the ones I think people think get it, let, let's take Ryan Johnson. Yeah, he makes the shots look cool. That's good. <laughs> good job, Ryan yeah, Johnson. 50%. But to become my favorite filmmakers of all time, you have to have everything layered, every level, and be perfect at a craft that, as Abe pointed out, is so multidisciplinary that it also involves your team. They have the best costume design, and by best, I mean the most meaningful. You can write essays, like Get Out is, appeals to us for the similar reasons. You can write essays about why the costume is yeah. that, why the tattoo is that, why his hair is that way. And it's not a reason that's just like... Not superficial, but like on the surface, I guess. Like, because I think all craftsmen, like, you watch something like Wedding Singer, and people are surprised by, like, look at the Wedding Singer with the ideas of the colors of red and blue. This is not a movie that is going to be winning Academy Awards for cinematography. But you see there's an interplay about red and blue and the two main characters and their unionization of creating purple that it's kind of like, oh, oh that's cool. Neat. The Coen brothers yeah. do that every moment in every shot all the time. Or at least you can extrapolate something. Right. I mean, it doesn't... And it's not like Lynch where you know he's doing that, but it's too obtuse to get. For me, they're just the right balance of like, think hard, you can get it. It's not that hard to figure out. Right. But every shot, why is the camera on the table versus up high? There's a reason. There's yeah. always a reason. Which is crazy to say about... So my favorite filmmakers are... The two reasons would be because they're nihilist and everything happens for a reason. Well, I, I, I want to drag that back, though, to a thing that you said about existentialism, that, mm -hmm. yes, there is no meaning, but I create the meaning. So therefore, there is it might as well be there is a meaning direct from God. There is no meaning. Thou but art they, God. Yeah, you can create it. Right. Yeah. They create their own meaning. So maybe we love them because they're... They have the balls to be like, we create the meaning. Well, this is true. This is the world. Yeah. <laughs> An anthropologist I was reading not too long ago, uh, Barbara J. King, I was mentioning her a lot on the podcast when I was reading her, but she talks about sort of the evolution of the idea of religion and God and a lot of it through her research with primates and like early proto-humans is the interplay in group meaning making. And so there you go. There is no meaning yeah. but the meaning that we make. Eat up. And yes. yeah. I don't think you have to sit and navel gaze about like, is that bad? Does that make the universe inherently meaningless? Exactly. No, we made the meaning, so now it's here. It's real meaning. Yeah, it's exactly <laughs> like that's why I kinda actually retroactive him like that was actually a really good question to start off with, which about optimism or pessimism. Hey, uh, thanks, man. I try. Just the idea <laughs> of like Depending on your frame of reference, depending on your perspective, uh, the unionization of like a tribe, like something like you were just talking about, can be the most beautiful thing ever. Everyone working as their component parts 
you know, building this beautiful community, loving one another, you know, all that <laughs> stuff. And then it's just you, Job flashes, love one another. <laughs> and then, yes, have one. And, uh, and then you jump a little further in whether, like, I don't even know what the metric would be, but like, if it's time, if it's just uh, another external influence, then you get tribalism and the things that we're saying about, like, right now, which are mostly bad in 2018. Right. I think it's amount of people. Right. So there's this beauty, and then it's encrusted in this, like, shit, and then somehow beauty comes back like it's just this onion that we just keep yeah. peeling and we're just tired of it i think history tells us and hopefully we can break the cycle but yeah there's beauty then the shit crust forms then the center collapses mm. millions of people die or suffer mm. then new beauty forms because in struggle we right. come together and create <clears throat> beauty and i think that so just to echo what Mike was saying, it's the two tenets of Coen Brothers' love comes from we're nihilists and everything has a purpose. A meaning. Yeah. We're nihilists, Donnie. Yeah. Uh, These people are cowards. So I, I want to I keep digging into this question here of why, sort of when rather than why. So you guys were young and you started liking them. Was it in comparison then to the media diet you were receiving then? Yeah, uh, if I no. understand the question correctly, my it's that's why I had the straight Darwinian answer, and I'll keep this exceedingly mm. short. My dad was sitting me and my brother down and saying these are the best filmmakers, and showing us Blood Simple on high eight tape and Hudsucker Proxy on Laserdisc, over and over, and teaching us about why this is as good as Moby Dick. <laughs> I'll explain why. And I was so I was just reverse. Yeah. I was not coached at all. I was coached in that I had like, it's like my dad was smart enough to know to put a library there. Like he bought a lot of DVDs, um, but he didn't care like <laughs> about what, like mm. he was just like, I don't know, I was in the bargain bin like, and it's two hours that I can watch and just not just turn off. And so I would watch shit and I would, and we were like OG pirates with the VHS where you buy two VHSs and record over mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. an empty tape and yeah. now you have it return it back to blockbuster and it's and i had to find it for myself i had to like um i mean my brothers were pretty into it and i had like the pretty did your dad never by chance buy a cohen oh yeah he, oh okay he did, so they were by chance yeah. yeah and there was a i think my first one was raising arizona because they already owned it mm -hmm. and i remember loving that one because it like is like Looney Tunes. Fucking funny. <laughs> it's fucking funny. Uh, and I remember I did know, I can't remember how early it was, but I do remember thinking, like, this is different than everything else that I've seen. And uh, it was that difference? But that... I couldn't identify okay. what it was. I was just, you know, like, probably like 12, 13 going like, uh, there's some, they talk funny, uh, you know, just yeah. like a kid in a candy store though but did that difference make you want more you wanted yes. more of that i, I okay. dissected it I, I turned into a doctor and that's, like that's tried the to deacon's see. difference my friend it's the deacon's difference <laughs> deacon's is yeah. Roger he has deacon's to be stated as what we're really paying homage to is a dream team that assembled in the way same way that like we felt that there was a period at cracked or is a special time we're lucky to be with these people right now right um I think the Coen brothers represent a small, like a dozen creatives that are a team that we're really saying like, they're the Golden State Warriors of filmmaking, right this now, team, yeah. yeah. And Deacons is of course the forward. Or Roger Deacons, yeah. the cinematographer, British cinematographer, who's shot a lot of 
Uh, like he shoots for Sam Mendes. He shoots for he shot Shawshank Redemption. Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> he's you know uh, he he shot for a lot of people, but for a long time from after was for Barton. Barton Fink was his first one. That's to number four. No Country for Old Men. He, he shot, shot every, every single Coen Brothers film, and it's why they look the way they look. And it there's something poetic and beautiful about it, very naturalistic, um, and like their union is when I think they really kicked it up. I think it's also because their success and their higher budgets, but like they really kicked it up a notch in terms of like if you just stop that movie right now and look at that mo- like frame, that is a postcard of what the thesis of the movie is. Yeah. It is absolutely like and then you play 2 minutes and you stop and you go that is also a postcard of the point of this movie. And, and it, in the case of O Brother different. Almost any frame could literally be a very nice postcard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, just like, a nice postcard mail. you it's send beautiful. to your mother. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm I'm sorry, but I'm going to keep making this yeah. personal to you, Abe. Uh-huh. So seeing that as a young kid, 13, what did that do? Did that because that clearly changed you? I think it it would be I would be remiss to say that didn't sort of boop put you on a path to where you are now. Uh, well, I wasn't. That's funny you ask because uh, I don't think it has. It's necessarily related to Coen Brothers, but it was all at the same time. I was like a horror. I was like a horrible teenager, you know, with all my uh, just uh, the reason we're all horrible when we're teenagers. Uh, but only for like a year. Uh-huh. I got got it out of my system. I just had one bad year, and I think the year ended when I there was a few reasons, but one of them was like film came into my life and I like was like well fuck it I'm just gonna like make cool projects with this camera and I got a camera and then did you think this is my calling or did you think this is fun to do no I was just like I want to learn everything there is to know because it's enjoyable cameras and like the formulation of editing and I want to know how it works I'm gonna armchair psychologize right now if you were having a shitty year maybe you were missing something and film, it wasn't the answer. No one on high was like, Abe's missing film. Let's see if he figures it out. Mm. But you were missing something, and then you found something. Right? What sure. were you missing? Like this year? No, this shitty year you're talking about. Well, I mean, I think this year's shitty teen, for everyone. Oh, that, right. oh yes. I see. I thought yeah. you were talking about No, no, your, your shitty year back, you know, when you were 13, uh, whatever. Yeah, I guess that, I think it was He's the idea He's trying to of, turn your nihilistic, randomized life into, into a clean three-act three structure. Three structure. Yeah. yeah, which is what, it's smart, it's smart. It's smart. Uh, it's I don't I don't sell podcasts. Yeah, yeah, it's untrue, but it's smart. And hey, we're in the business of I'm, lying, cheating, and there, telling the truth. Am I right? There's no meaning, but what the meaning we make, Abe. So let's make some meaning. Uh, well, yeah, I guess the uh, it was because I was the I don't know. Raise your hand up if you're a third. You're like the last kid, uh, and so when you're like kind of the baby a little bit, uh, you have to be a little bit more funny. You have to be a little bit more interesting. Because your parents are kind of like over it, you know, and they're just like, ah, these things can run themselves more or less. Uh, and so I had to figure out ways and you do it usually by like imagination. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I didn't have an outlet. And also we didn't move around a lot, but for circumstances in like middle school and high school that I won't get into, I didn't have like friends that were longer than like two years because yeah. I moved away or or like went to a different school, I should say, or like something ha- or they did or something. It was just a crazy circumstance. By the time I got to college, I think the longest that I had, had a friend was like two years. Uh, and so I had no like crew to like 
usually when you're a kid, you get your imagine out by like having imagination games with right. them, and you like, you know, you you play swords or whatever. Or <laughs> that's probably not because that's where you take your dicks out. <laughs> I didn't say that. No, but we were all thinking. It. <laughs> yeah, we we're all thinking it. Yeah. But like you put you you play something, you know, like uh, and you 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 build these little tiny worlds. Uh, I don't know. I think there's something about getting access to like a high camera when you're when mm. you're my age, when you're like 14 years old or something, mm. and not knowing a goddamn thing about how to do anything uh, with it, but then just being like, oh shit, it's, it's like recordable. It's a, a I can put this and have it. Now it's mine, and I can hide it from everyone else. And I started to do that. I started to make like. Not diaries, but just like that's a cool shot. That's a cool shot, and I got like pretty good at operating the camera, and I got pretty good at like editing things up together and putting music on it, and I never showed them to anybody. I just had them, and I think that that I don't know. I don't know what that means psychologically. You're. Do you still have them? Can they be released? No, I think they're. I think my mom still has them. I want a reel that's just like the video from The Ring. Just random shots you took as a <laughs> just kid. Just like bees coming out a of my field. mouth. <laughs> Childhood yeah. Abe's mind. Yeah. Ah, mushrooms growing in super fast motion. Yeah. yeah. Well, it sounds like you found a thing that could be yours. Life was a little chaotic, a little hectic. Mm-hmm. And through filmmaking, you had structure and structure superimposed i think we've all come to agree for the sake of this podcast sure but it's still a structure that you could create and imbue with meaning and then somehow in this the coen brothers come along and sort of bite you in the ass with yeah. a little they, they super yeah because who yeah. knows if your parents had gotten you a tennis racket you could be the serena tennis. williams right now yeah yeah Right. That's how the butterfly effect works. Yeah. No, I think it's because I've always kind of known, because I, I grew up, we grew up fairly agnostic and non-practicing. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, my parents, you know, if, what they believe in, they're probably closer to deists, but they're like, ah, who gives a fuck? Um, but so I always just thought that the na- nature was super cool and crazy. And when I'd look at like insects and stuff like that, I'd be like... What's your fucking deal? Like, what do you got going on? Nothing. You're just going in circles right now. And like, am I going in circles? So all this philosophy would always make me assume that the world was chaos or chaotic Uh and there wasn't really a purpose to events. Maybe you could extrapolate purpose from events, but they just kind of happen because like, I don't know, why does water boil? You know, uh, it's just this kind of metric of physics or, you know, (laughs) it's this aspect of the universe. And uh, that chaos always... I was never fearful of that chaos. I don't think, Mike, you ever were either because you you enjoy the chaos a little bit too. Mm-hmm. It's a hard thing to look into because then you, you kind of have to laugh at it. I played a lot of Sonic the Hedgehog, which coaches you to desire chaos. Yeah. Need the so emeralds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you built structure out of it by <laughs> just getting all yeah. the emeralds. Yeah. And now they're in your pocket. You create the chaos, Not right? You ever got them get all. You money. Without the game genie, anyway. <laughs> get, get your okay, gold. I want to add. I want to ask like two questions that are of a piece, and then we can just let it rip. So uh, I've been holding this part. Yeah, our yeah. Farts, That's <laughs> what I mean. Uh, Michael, you. I think you know of sort of the good, big, and little G's I play with, mm-hmm. right? It's yeah. just. It's a, 
it's a thing I use. It's a it's a structure. It's a structure I superimpose. Uh, so big G and little G good, right? Little G good, good for me. I stubbed my toe, and it's nice to get a hug. Big G good hugs are great because they bring the world closer together. And you know, if we're all hugging each other, then that means we're having empathy for one another, mm-hmm. and the world will be better, right? Mm-hmm. Basic. That's an idiot version of what I'm saying. No, I get it. So, can you, the two of you, you think really? succinctly try to sum up the little and big G's for the Coen brothers? Yes. Yes. Good. That's the answer I was hoping for. All right. This has been at least this. No. Did it. Let's do it. Shall I? I mean, I can do either one or I can do neither. Should we do them in unison? Yeah, just no, talk no. over each other. I'd actually want to hear, why don't we I start we'll with Abe and then go to Michael? Yeah. I think yeah. this is a test about whether or not we are same, same. Okay, well, I know what I'll I'm going to say. I know what little g is for I sure. know what I'm going to say, so I'll still say it, and we'll okay. see if it's the same. I think the little g <laughs> is um, the they're expert craftsmen. Okay. They, they are uh, amazing at building films that are enjoyable for people to watch. Of You know, like, they, that's... It's fun to watch their films, and are, you get entertained by them, mm. and they're so good at it. And I think the big G is that they have this ability to cut through into the bigger questions and make you think a little bit more about your place, I guess, in the universe, but, like, more importantly, like, how to in how there's just so many different types of people and you're, you're unique, but, like, everyone's unique. It's that Sonder kind of word that we've all learned mm-hmm. because we've been on the Internet for three years. I would say that that is more or less the little big G distinction hell yeah little g george clooney now uh same little g that they're the best movies so if we have chocolate we may as well have the best chocolate good for me um for me the big g is that so little narrative challenges the audience to think a little harder about deriving meaning from what their senses are having pour in and i think Everyone needs that lesson all the fucking time. Like, it's very easy to ignore your part in deciphering meaning and trying to shape the future if you're just like, there's a million things for me to watch. There's Transformers 4, there's my phone games, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Coen Brothers films, especially the more obscure ones like Barton Fink or The Man Who Wasn't There, for example, will make you go... Wow, that's a puzzler. (laughs) I had to think about that. And we need more exercise thinking. And since filmmaking is the most popular media, I think it has a special obligation to not just descend into Marvel movies. Marvel movies are great, but remember when that used to be the level of complexity that a children's (laughs) story was? Now it's acceptable for us all to be like, my brain only wants to work as hard as Iron Man 2. And I'm 45. No, if you're 45, you should be able to handle a more challenging narrative right. and have thoughts and leave the theater talking about pertinent issues with your friends. The end of your <laughs> sequence shouldn't be, and then this other guy arrives, or this oh, other Oh, I'm looking forward arrives. to that. Yeah. Next one. There's no therefores yeah. in yeah. Marvel movies. But you know what? I t- your, your capital G is much better than mine. I take yours. I went second, so I had more writing time. That's true, but I liked it. <laughs> All right, guys, this has been a real fucking cool conversation. You got your two capital G's right here, my friend. Woo!
They pulled out. They pulled out their dicks. Anyway, yeah. anyway. thanks for having They're us. They're still touching. <laughs> dicks are still touching. Oh boy. Uh, can we get some plugs? Let's find out where we can find y'all. It's the same place, really. Yeah. Patreon.com slash small beans. Yeah, also on YouTube. On Twitter, we uh, individually are I'm at Abe the Mighty. I'm at Swaim underscore C O R P. And also, since we're a podcasting network, you can find the vast majority of our content by going to your phone, jabbing wildly at whatever you get podcasts from, mm -hmm. and searching small beans. Yeah, we have like eight now ish. Eight what, yeah. platforms? Uh, no, we're not no, on no, Spotify, no, 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 no. But we're on everything podcasts else. Podcasts where we have like oh. it, we talk about. We usually all ha Shit, there's all comedy, lot. but there's like um, you know we talk about movies, we talk about video games, we have podcasts for wellness, you know, and just like depression. Uh, and what about friendships? What about, what about embarrassing childhoods? Yeah, and on and on. Yeah. It's honestly too much. We should s slow down. Scale down. Yeah, we're we gonna scale down. Yeah. But we, we also, if you visit the Patreon page and you don't have to pay for them, but you should know, because it won't show up on your phone, do release video sketches, uh, long written comedy pieces, mm -hmm. occasional musings. Uh, we're launching a web comic, so like all that stuff you can only find on the Patreon page. And we usually support any correct alums from the fallout from yeah, a lot of them September of last year or October. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you've, if you do check us out, uh, you'll be definitely supporting a lot of people that you uh, probably already recognize, people like Soren Bowie, uh, Daniel O'Brien. We just had an episode with Carmen Angelica. Guys, if you like this podcast, uh, thank you. That's nice to know. Uh, it would help me a lot if you could share this episode with a friend, maybe share it on Twitter, uh, or if you hated it, send it to somebody you don't like, as, I don't know, like a, a little uh, voodoo doll. Like, hey, fuck you, Daryl. Listen to this podcast I hated. Um, this is all spread through word of mouth, so literally anything you guys can do to help is wonderful. I'm going to plug real quick a thing I had nothing to do with. Uh, I'm trying to do that more and more thanks to Daniel O'Brien. Mm. If you guys have a Netflix account and you like comedy, you should check out a show called Toast of London. It's from Matt Barry, who was part of Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. He's yeah. like a British weirdo. It's one of the funniest shows I've ever seen. There's a lot of strange music uh, and fun plays with words that are nonsensical, so I highly recommend that. And finally, if you are sitting down to watch uh, a Coen Brothers movie, maybe with a significant other, and they've just leaned over for the sixth time to ask you, why did that happen? What does that mean? How did we not plug this ourselves? Right. We suck. Uh, Thank you. Out. Well, <laughs> you can go and listen. I was going to do my own thing, but oh. good idea. You should listen to these two boys' podcast. Plug it for me right now. The Coen Brothers Brothers. Yeah, where we do uh, chronologically. We're Deep almost dives. halfway, actually. We're doing all 18. Yeah. Listen to the Coen Brothers Brothers, and then pull out your phone, find my podcast, ah. give me five stars, and then explain it to them why they did what they did and just try to infuse some meaning into a truly meaningless situation. Okay. I was truly frightened you were launching a competing Coen Brothers deep dive <laughs> yeah. podcast. Check out the Coen Brothers sisters the with Coen John C. Riley. Brother. All right, thank you guys. I love you. Bye. 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 Bye.